Tacky Talk time. This is the first Tacky Talk, by the way, of March 2023 with State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy. Hey, Tacky, happy March. Happy March, uh, Joe. It's uh, moving into a new season, we hope. Uh, but then again, it could snow again this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a climatological or meteorological spring, I am told. Um, so anything that happens now, even if it's a snowstorm, it's going to be a spring snowstorm. <laughs> I mean, uh, we all grew up here, so uh, the meteorological uh, seasons don't make any sense to us anyway. <laughs> the lines are very blurred. That's right. It snowed in May one year, I remember. <laughs> so anything could happen. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I know. Obviously, I'm, uh, I remember the April food storm is the one that's strongest on everyone's memory in the right age bracket. But I was talking to my uh, colleagues in Western Mass where the state has to say voting and supplemental budget. And, uh, you know, it's describing who has how much snow and of course, uh, the ability to work from home, like we're doing here chatting, you know, has really changed how state of emergency works. Uh, the governor did not declare state of emergency, actually. She declared that people that can work remote will work remote because you have the ability to work remote in case the storm gets really bad. However, if you couldn't work remote, you have to come in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, essentially, that's what they said. I mean, you know, obviously, it said specifically, Mass DOT and RMV and those guys, you know, how to work something out. But, you know, all the emergency management people obviously goes in during the storm because it's a statewide issue. They obviously are essential personnel, obviously law enforcement, essential personnel. But I mean, most uh, most folks that are um, administrative staff style work, I mean, you have this laptop and you've been working from home. You go to go home and we expect you to do your job uh, and show up the next day. So we did that at the state house as well, um, even though, quite honestly, it was um, not a real snowstorm yesterday. <laughs> thankfully, yeah, thankfully. Uh, which I kind of laughed about when I looked up and I was like, this ain't bad. Um, but I mean, it's, it's the, this technology lets us err on the side of caution uh, that we wouldn't have before. You know, I, I'm still old enough to remember when there were state emergencies and you know, I was happy being non-essential personnel. And we had no cloud access. We had no email. We had, we didn't have voicemail. We didn't have any of the things you have today uh, that has expanded during the COVID world. Uh, and actually this leads to a good question in the long run is whether or not uh, snow days are a thing of past for kids going down the line. Yeah, I, I actually, one of the things that came out of this recent event was I, I didn't realize that the, the, the state education department does not uh, currently allow remote learning to count as, as toward you know, a, a real day in school. Yeah, I, I suspect those will be revisited as time goes along. Uh, obviously, we're not like Maine, where they still for sh they, they don't they go to school uh, unless there's like more than a foot. I mean, you know, it's it's Maine. I mean, these these folks are a hardy snowgoers, especially as further north you go. Um, but I mean, I suppose I wouldn't say it's going to happen near term. But I suppose it's something that will be considered by uh, school districts and Department of Education at some point, where uh, to make sure that everyone gets out of school. Uh, on time within the statutory allowed requirement days that perhaps, you know, if if it is possible to remote learning, because I'm, I, as we all aware, not everybody has equal access to internet. Right. And honestly, not every every child and family has equal access to technology either. The technological divide, uh, even in a wealthy state like ours, is still very, very real. Oh, yeah, especially I'm sure in uh, your colleagues in Western Mass in the rural areas, uh, that, would, that would be their first argument. Well, also people in uh, different parts of the socioeconomic scale too. Yeah, uh, you know, people who uh, who are unable to have uh, the te a, a technology to allow to have 
a computer will zoom, for example. Uh, just because you have an older computer, it doesn't always mean it's going to work right. For example, if I had older tablets and I couldn't use them on Zoom uh, when uh, during COVID, and hence uh, you all were looking at me through one of these things with Joe uh, because I couldn't find the tablet if I wanted to find one in 2020. I mean, That's right. Yeah. I would have to go steal somebody's equipment. I mean, it was just <laughs> such a shortage. Uh, but I mean, you know, reality is that, you know, not every family can have uh, the latest device and you know, the state. You know, as you all found out, I didn't get my state uh, device to uh, 2021 November, um, which is a long time uh, for us to make an acquisition. Uh, for electronics, yeah, these days it is, yeah. Yeah, which allows me to actually communicate this way and also work, I can work more effectively from home to my desktop uh, computer. Uh, so because this device is more secure, it is a state device, it, it has already preloaded all the access to the cloud servers. At the state house, it is designed that if someone steals it, it you know basically erases itself. Um, so I mean, you know, you obviously want a, a secure work device. So, but for families, you know, remote learning is still an economic barrier for some folks, as well as correctly point out, is is a, a technology barrier in broadband, even in urban areas, even in Boston, because a lot of this stuff is wired in the ground. Uh, not everybody in Boston even has equal access. And if you go to the Cape, it can be equally challenging. But this yeah. is something that we definitely need to continue to address. I mean, we've been talking about this and, you know, pouring tens of millions of dollars uh, into this issue every year, but tens of millions ain't a lot of money. I mean, in terms of uh, internet broadband and technology moves fast. So, you know, I suspect at some point there'll be a conversation about this. I wouldn't expect it anytime soon. Uh, the technology divide is something the school system must consider. If they want to do any kind of remote learning, they count towards a uh, count towards um, a completion of a school year. Mm-hmm. But I think it's worthy of discussion, uh, regardless by by school districts as well as the Department of Education. But like I said, I wouldn't believe it's going to happen immediately because of the economic divide. Right. Uh, well, as you mentioned, uh, things are starting to get active again um, at the state house, and I guess the biggest news this week was um, the proposed uh, budget from the governor. Yeah, like every governor, regardless of political party, it's a suggestion, and uh, we file it, and then we go to do our own thing, because we're the House, and the Constitution says the House is the first body that makes an appropriation. So, uh, you know, we- So it's her this- wish list, basically. It's her wish list, basically. <laughs> yeah, this, I've uh, been working on budgets since 96, so, uh, you know, it's always been a wish list. I discovered after, when our staffing discovered in the first year, hey, this- doesn't matter, does it? It was like, no. People were telling me, no, it really doesn't matter. It's just a, it's just a recommendation, not a, uh, not a food blown, like, you know, we're going to do this. Uh, but also gives a bit of a guidepost, too. For example, you have to have a general idea what different state agencies are looking for. For funding, uh, you know, right now, public hearings are starting on Monday uh, with the Ways and Means Committees. Uh, they do it jointly, set of Ways and Means will jointly, um, jointly uh, do... Uh, uh, hearings uh, to do around the state like we had in the past. Uh, the vice chair and assistant vice chair would chair a few of those hearings when the chair is not available. Um, and uh, the state agencies and constitutional officers are ex- expected to sit before the Ways and Means Committee and basically answer questions. And being, I'm not on Ways and Means anymore, but I have been on Ways and Means. And one of the advantages of being on Ways and Means is that as a member, you can ask constituent issues, functional issues, you know, anything comes to mind. You've got a bone to pick of a state agency, uh, being a member of Ways and Means gives that grand opportunity to get the secretariat uh, or the constitutional officer in front of you. And, uh, you know, 
they can try to dodge your question and answer your question, but you know, you, you have the ability as a committee member to, hey, look, what's real going here? My, you know, my folks in this community is having X problem. Why can't you deal with this? And you know, you can put people on the spot. So then the stuff's not, you know, we'll be streaming on uh, MELegislature.gov. It never gets part of the news cameras unless it's really juicy and there's like a food blown fight. So yeah. you never see those on the news cameras. Uh, and uh, unlike C-SPAN, uh, it tends to be uh, a little bit more orderly. Uh, and uh, the combat is not nearly as vicious as watching C-SPAN. Uh, so it's a little, as I'm saying, it's kind of dull. But, <laughs> but I mean, we'll see what it's the- practical, practical, though. <laughs> practical. So we'll see how it goes. I, I, my, my, my friend is the committee chair. Uh, consumer protection professional legislature. You know, I do reach out to agencies that I interact with, you know, Office of Consumer Affairs, Division of Occupational Licenses, the Alcohol Beverage Control Commission, the State Lottery, you know, and other folks that we have some oversight on. And we'll, we'll talk to those uh, secretariats and their staff about, you know, why they uh, are asking what they're asking for. And then, you know, I can check in ways and means about, hey, what are you guys thinking here? Because we've been asked, this is the explanation we received. You know, what do you guys, you know, what are you guys thinking on your side? And, uh, you know, good committee chairs, uh, you know, do look into the budgets of agencies they interact with. Uh, and uh, obviously, we're not happy the agency will make a different recommendation than the agency wants to hear. Uh, I've had a very brief conversation with Secretary Yvonne Howe, the new Secretary of Economic Development. Uh, and uh, we'll be having a follow-up meeting soon uh, to, uh, you know, discuss uh, her transition into uh, private sector finance industry into government, as well as you know my thoughts of how uh, things work or used to work. Uh, again, I've suddenly become the status historian. It's like to put out, I'll become state house old. <laughs> well, any questions you have, just go to Jackie. He's been around for so long. <laughs> He'll have the answers for you. <laughs> Yeah, there's a little bit of truth to that these days. Uh, <laughs> so what do you think about, uh, well, the headline-grabbing uh, uh, story this week is the free community college uh, for people 25 and older with a price tag of about $20 million, which surprised me. I thought it would be much more than that. Yeah, 25, 20, uh, $25-ish million dollars is, 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 doesn't sound like it's very sufficient. I suspect this is more of a pilot-style program where um, I don't know what the criteria is. I mean, they, they just listen to age. They didn't really go through the criteria. It's supposed to live. It's going to be re- re- done by regulation. Uh, and uh, obviously, it's for people who um, were unable to go back to school for whatever reason. It reminds mm-hmm. me a bit like Youth Build and the GED mm-hmm. program that we fund. We do a fund adult, educa- adult, basic education, ed- adult basic education. We've been doing adult basic education longer than I've been in government. Uh, most people don't realize this, that you the state does fund programs to get your GED. Uh, there were programs, I think at one time, long time ago, there were programs at Quincy College uh, that was state I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, Youth Build is another program uh, where um, young adults now, you know, for whatever reason, couldn't finish uh, high school. And then they got the GEDs uh, via the Youth Build program and they learned the trade skill in the process. Mm-hmm. Um to me, the, this that logic, uh, the community college logic leaps off the debt logic. The difference is volume, right? Uh, uh, overall, Massachusetts's uh, graduation rate is good. I mean, this is one of the better educated states in the nation. Uh, I would pit any school district here against any school district in 
the South in particular. I always say that if you look at some of these other places uh, and the quality of education and, uh, and the, the crazy political divide now that education's become, which doesn't happen here, where uh, people don't realize when you make public policy and education and it disrupts the whole system because uh, as I reminded by school teachers, uh, the second graders are only good as a first grade teacher. Mm, yeah. And the third graders are only good as a second grade teacher. And you start making massive uh, political statements in, in uh, schools. Uh, it creates all kinds of disruption because of the way the system set. You can make educational changes regarding um, improvements of how you educate. Uh, but, you know, you start making uh, political decisions on education. Uh, it, it can really be very disruptive because now you have brand new stuff as opposed to uh, curriculums that were uh, designed, tested, and uh, piloted somewhere, and you have an idea how it works before you go put it in front of your children. So, you know, Massachusetts is uh, you know, pretty good uh, about not getting into that level of uh, education advice. The social issues regarding uh, bullying and uh, interactions with kids and extracurriculars, that's a separate issue. I mean, in the mm -hmm. classroom, learning is, is fairly good here. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I can't tell what the graduated Massachusetts. I would have to Google it up pretty quickly. Or chat, yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Chat GDP it up, depending on what, what we want to use. Uh, the AI could probably tell me, you know, fast. But, um, but I mean, uh, I do understand that there's an economic challenge to go to college. We all know this. I mean, we talk about student loans, student debt, anybody with kids staring down, you know, that big number down the road. Um, you know, obviously, we've talked about the Biden student loan initiative. Um, things like, you know, uh, I, I don't think he's going to get his $20,000 forgiveness. That ain't looking good because I think you're going to uh, say it's government overreach again, mm -hmm. uh, which, which I think uh, the courts you know, has been pulling back uh, the presidential power saying it's overreach. Um, but you have teaching uh, student loan forgiveness, you know, public service loan forgiveness, which is uh, from what I believe was a George W. Bush era uh, program that was never properly implemented. Uh, and, uh, you know, you got to put 10 years in and, and we have to be part of the federal program and that can help out. But again, you know, as a guy that works in public service and those of your teachers know that the starting pay ain't that great. Mm -hmm. So you got to kind of rough it out, you know, moving up the pay scale while trying to, you know, get your 10 years payment in to try to get your loans forgiven. Right. But, you know, it's at least you're working towards um, your loan end. Uh, so... I get it. You know, what the governor is trying to do, it's, it's not a terrible idea. Like I said, we do this in about adult edu basic education to start with. The question is um, you know, what the criteria is, you know, for you to complete your uh, community associate program at community college, where you're trying to work from associate to a four-year program and what do you do next? Um, and, you know, not to say this is, uh, I don't have the statistics either, but I mean, obviously, folks, I mean, even adult basic education, everybody finishes about adult basic, adult basic education to get the GED, G, you know, some people do drop out the GED program because life happens. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so I think that's the other concern is that, you know, while there's an expectation in GED programs to be uh, attrition just because life happens, you know, we'll do that be attrition at the community uh, community uh, college proposal. Um, I don't like I said, it's an intriguing program. It, it kind of piggybacks off of the existing program we've had for many, many decades. Uh, the cost differential obviously is very different um, because I think the ADE English second language programs, you know, average between 27 and 35 million statewide. 
Uh, but it's not, again, not just the AD, that includes English second language programs around the state too. So, um, but I mean, a lot of, you know, like I said, we have a good graduation rate at high school. For the reason you can't get your four-year degree or two-year degree, it's going to be more than 25 million. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Um, this is, it's an introductory offer from the governor, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, at least I'm very intrigued by this. It's, it's not a terrible idea. Like, you know, what if it's tied to a GED program, for example? You finish your GED, you're like 27 years old or 28 years old, and you finally got right. your high school diploma, high school equivalent diploma. And uh, you decide, you know, I want to do the next thing. You, you know, things like youth build, for example, got you a steady job in the trades. Um, you have some uh, stability, but no financial means. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're just, you know, on the edge, but you made the strong effort to complete a program. You know, maybe there's a continuation there. Like I'm just shooting off the top of my head here. Okay, right, folks. right. No, but I see what you're saying. It kind of creates a continuing pathway to finish your education. Yeah, again, I'm shooting off the top of my head. Um, right. you know, using the program. Well, that's what we do here on Tacky Talk, Tacky. <laughs> yeah, I just throw ideas out, folks. I'm not saying it's going to happen. That's uh, right. But you know that that could be you're right. A logical, you know, perhaps we do a logical conclusion to that program. Uh, listen, I don't know. I find it very intriguing. Uh, I do think the price tag is a little low uh, if it's fully utilized. Um, but I mean, I think it's worth discussion. It really is. Okay. All right. Um, also. A supplemental budget uh, presented this week as well, which is, is that supplement to what, Techie? Well, we're paying some bills and uh, we're doing some uh, bond authorizations that we didn't get done last year. So it's about $355 million of of um, supplemental money, of which 255 is net, meaning that's like real money. The other 10 million is moving money around between accounts. And then we have about 500-ish million dollars in bonds uh, for things that we need to get done. So, for example, the Mass Works program is about $300 million. It's a job draining program that's run out of money. And we refund this, we refill this program, you know, every two to four years, uh, depending on the need. Um, and uh, it's, you know, running out of money. So the governor needs to keep this Mass Works program going. That's about $300 million bucks um, of the 500 million. Um, the, the other big ticket items, as you probably see in the news, is the SNAP program, the go, uh, federal government supplemental uh, food stamp slash SNAP, we call it SNAP now, supplementary nutrition assistance program. Uh, you guys know it's food stamps. Um, you know, runs out. They did a supplemental program uh, throughout COVID. Uh, it ends this March. This happened to us last year regarding school breakfasts. That's right. Uh, for everyone, you have a school breakfast, which we did have to do in supplemental budget. And we baked it into the budget, which is part of our permanent program. We talked about school lunches. We're interested in seeing if we can bake it into the main budget as well as a long-term mm-hmm. program. We're trying to figure out if we can do that or not. Um, and, uh, you know, th- those are kind of big ticket items that, you know, need to be addressed right away. The other uh, big financial item is actually the continuation of refugees coming to this country. The uh, Afghan and uh, Haitian res- refugees are still uh, coming in as the U.S. Department uh, the U.S. government uh, between, you know, in the case of, of the Afghans, they have like a State Department, Defense Department, and, uh, you know, ICE uh, component. It's a little bit trickier, uh, complex of Afghan situation. It's more Afghans are trying to get out of the country. And those are displaced um, still around the world. I mean, imagine, you know, you had to flee your country and you're displaced in a tent uh, for how long? Um, I feel before the U.S. government can find a place to place you. And Massachusetts, most people don't realize, is a major refugee definition, de- destination for the U.S. government. Um, uh, sta- oddly enough, states in the Midwest, the Northeast uh, corridors, uh, uh, tend to, um, most of them tend to be okay in terms of economic development states. Uh, they tend to be a little bit wealthier states. 
um, to take uh, designated refugees. I do understand mm-hmm. the you know, migrant issues on the border or a different conversation. But I mean, there's this narrative going around that uh, these wealthier states do, you know, don't feel the impact of migration. And that's true. We don't have people just randomly showing up on our borders, but we do take a lot of refugees that those other states don't take the same amount of yes. refugees. Well, there are there are already social service agencies in place in, in states like ours to deal with that, and other states don't have that that support. Yeah, we've been doing this for many, many, many decades. I mean, my uh, friends from uh, Cambodia and Vietnam uh, who are refugees uh, from the seventies, uh, eighties, into the nineties. I mean, a lot of them enter a place like Minnesota, mm. and then Minnesota would uh, be the start point, and then uh, they would migrate to uh, Massachusetts. Uh, and uh, that's where a lot of our uh, Southeast Asian population comes from. We have a huge Nepalese population on temporary visa still, you know, post a massive earthquake uh, as a type of refugee. I mean, the Afghans the, uh, here, I mean, the Iraqis are here. A lot of folks are uh, in Massachusetts. You just never realized or thought about. And they're going to continue to keep coming. So, you know, so we put my mom in the supplemental budget to to supplement what the feds have provided us regarding this program. And the Massachusetts Office of uh, Immigrants and Refugees, you know, has a lot of work. They've been working very hard. Our good friend, Mary Trunk, uh, we've known her for many, many years. Um, you know, herself is a refugee. She's very familiar with the process the federal government set up as well as the local service agencies. And uh, it isn't kind of like, you know, drop and run. We, we, you know, social, service, social service agencies working in the federal government and the state, you know, have to come up with a plan here. And mm-hmm. it's no surprise, folks, you guys know what the problem is, it's about housing. Yep, absolutely. So we've seen it, you know, manifest itself in uh, these temporary housing shelters at hotels and motels across the state. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, exactly. You guys are all where it is, it's housing. And that's the single biggest challenge of, of refugee populations is to find housing and then, you know, get them situated. They need English classes. Again, we talked about English classes a bit before the GED uh, ESL. You know, then, you know, we got to identify work training. And then, of course, uh, you know, obviously mass transit is important, but you also get a driver's license at some point, too. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of moving parts involved. And not, not every, you know, refugee can qualify for a driver's license. They have to go to like driving school. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's the case, but you're making no money. Driving school ain't cheap. So, right. you know, there's a lot of things involved here. But you know, I remind folks, you know, particularly the Afghan refugees. Uh, you know, they, these are folks that, uh, you know, were supporters of the U.S. government. Yep, that's right. Yeah, it's important to point out the difference between refugee and migrant. They're two totally. One is one is your life is in danger. <laughs> you have to, you have to get out. <laughs> yeah, in some cases, migrants are in danger. I mean, immigrants are trying to get up from Central or South America, uh, you know, whether they're cartels and, uh, True. You, know, yeah. you know, lift stakes and run because the local government is unable to uh, curtail uh, the challenges associated with fighting cartels. Or there's a civil war like in Venezuela. Mm. Uh, again, there's still uh, opposition to the government uh, down there. And, uh, you know, you, you got to flee and uh, you don't have time to you know, get a passport because the government is run by a dictator and you could get shot trying to go get a passport if you're in the opposition party and right. you got to run for it because they're hunting for you. Most people here, unless you grew up in that environment or lived through those environments, have no idea. Yeah. Let's be frank about it, folks. I mean, you know, we can't relate to that. Uh, if you've never been hunted and then you need to find a better life and you get to the Texas border. 
Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it, you're right. It's hard for us to put ourselves in those shoes, thankfully, right? That we, no, that we yeah. You know, th those folks that, you know, listening, perhaps you've been through this, understand, you can relate what's going on, but I mean, the vast majority just have no idea. Let's talk about the, um, the um, tax relief proposal that now the House Speaker seems to support parts of, at least. He publicly uh, came out uh, on that, finally. <laughs> but a speaker likes to uh, review as opposed to uh, talk about public policy off the top of his head. I'm fully aware the speaker says a lot of things off the top of his head. Uh, but you may have noticed that his editorial comments uh, are very rarely or never actually regarding new public policy he's not had a chance to review. Stuff that he's already seen and vetted and has an understanding of, he sometimes can be a little colorful about how he uh, talks about this or um you know there's always always a little bit of a quip and uh, people keep asking about that oatmeal cookie he had during a press conference and oh let that go let's just let's move <laughs> I on i still got people asking about that like he wanted a cookie i don't see a kind of political interpretation of a man that wants to have a cookie he just happened to have his cookie he's not gonna what stuff his face out you know jump one face full of cookie i mean going out to Senate uh, Senate lobby. I mean, it's like, come on, folks. So uh, we, uh, I'm surprised it hasn't been turned into a meme yet. Uh, maybe there is one. Is that <laughs> maybe there is one. We, we're not going to do that here, that's for sure. Um, yeah. But I think so, he, he did indicate some support for like changes to the estate tax, capital gains tax, things like that. Well, I mean, some of this stuff is already stuff we already put out last year, as you know, I right. was very proud and supportive of the fact that we put out uh, increased or rental deduction that will help a little bit on people uh, on, uh, on tenants. I mean, that's that's what a point of deduction is. We haven't changed that as far as I'm aware of because uh, I actually know a little bit about how to fill out tax form, believe it or not. And uh, I remember that ever changing uh, in my lifetime. Uh, you know, the state tax is definitely something, you know, I've been very supportive of, talked a lot about it as well. The fact that we tax you on the whole uh, amount, uh, once you can pass a million dollars, uh, in a state tax, which is ridiculous. Uh, states, uh, other states provide a deductible. Um, we propose two million. I believe the governor is looking at three. Uh, I'm sure we can work out something here. This is not uh, a surmountable goal to deal with. Um, you know, some other stuff is kind of new. I mean, uh, changing short-term gains, uh, uh, capital gains tax from uh, 12 to 5%. I know the business community has been asked for that. Obviously, the governor's looking for this compromise. I think we need to review that a little more closely. Uh, you know, this can be used to offset the impact of the so-called millionaires tax, of which we don't even know what the implementation is. Um, so that's that's kind of some of the thought process there, particularly uh, from the business community that's been pushing that. Um, you know, I've been looking for something, you know, I got a bill I'll be filing soon, very uh, much more pedestrian looking uh, regarding the deductible and interest dividend incomes. Right now in the state tax, if you're a single individual, you pay $100, you can get $100 deductible on your interest and dividends and the 200 if you're a married couple. Not surprising, interest rates have been bloody awful, right? So, you know, nobody's paying interest tax until now. You can find uh, a lot of young people online banking, you can find um, a 3.4 to almost all, close to 5% high yield savings accounts. Yep. Uh, depending on those conditions with some of these, I do understand that. But the fact there's availability for that, you know, you can't get past $100 deduction on interest. Uh, and uh, it hasn't been changed since 1971. So we're working on a bill now in the office we're going to file soon uh, to increase the amount of $500, $1,000 for a couple. I'm just picking a number because if you count inflation, it's probably close to $600. Uh, but you know, round numbers are nice. 
And, um, you know, I'll float that proposal out as a bill. And uh, when we get to uh, discussion of the tax proposal, you know, you know, I can file as an amendment. And again, I'm not married to exactly 500 bucks, but you got to have a number to start a conversation, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they have to, you know, more accurately reflect the economic climate of the day. Yeah, and this helps more like people like you and me and your neighbors or people listening here because uh, it's unlikely you're going to have massive capital gains uh, for many of us in Quincy. Uh, but you will accrue a lot more interest income. And uh, like I said, younger folks, you know, like online banking uh, mm-hmm. and mortar banks aren't for them. And, uh, you know, these online banks have low overhead because uh, they're less physical plant uh, and uh, they try to attract uh, people away from you know, Bank of America by offering uh, much higher uh, savings interest rates versus, you know, the point one, the point two, the you know, point whatever you're getting at some of these brick and mortar banks versus, you know, like Capital One or, or Vanguard or, or others or Citibank's another one that's doing it now that's offering a minimum 3.4%. Yeah, you just have to be careful of uh, fees and, uh, you know, certain restrictions with, with withdrawals and checks written against them, things like that. Yeah, pay attention to footnotes because yeah. uh, you see online they, they have to fully disclose because you know the, the feds will go get them if they don't. But you see these little footnotes, definitely scroll to the bottom of the screen as soon as you get everything. And I know the print's super tiny. You can use Zoom on your web browser to, to make it much bigger uh, to look at. Or you can cut and paste it and put it into a Word document and right. zoom up that way. But yeah, you're absolutely correct. Read those little footnotes to see what the exact criteria are. Uh, but certain places like Citibank is offering you money cash back uh, to move a certain amount of money. If you meet, make a minimum, they're going to give you money back. Uh, and that money, by the way, is taxable. It's it's uh, not a rebate. So, you know, just be aware that's considered interest income for tax purposes. Right, right. Uh, you're looking at like up to like 250 bucks in some cases yeah. on cash back. Yeah, I mean, it, it can be significant. Just uh, you made a good point, too, about the feds. Uh, be sure it's uh, FDIC insured before you do anything. <laughs> You know, absolutely. You know, you, you want to make sure you got those criteria. But you know, guys like Capital One, they you know, are, yeah. using, using them as an example, I mean, uh, they are a bank. Um, right. Citibank has the word bank in it. Uh, right. so, so, I mean, there's, there's already that out there. So Yeah, all major opinion. institutions, for sure. Yeah, just be aware of, um, like, investment bankers, things like that. Yeah, investment bankers are different. They have, um, if you have your money in a brokerage account, they do not, they're not FDIC insured. They are required to have a different type of insurance. They have to carry separately from FDIC. So your brokerage accounts are insured, um, like the big reputable ones, you know, Vanguard, uh, Charles Schwab, uh, J.P. Morgan. I mean, the, the big ones uh, are reputable ones. Uh, will are required to carry it. Small ones are required to carry it too. But you know, you don't know what's going on. Um, right, right, right. Big ones yeah. will, will so, definitely. And credit carry. unions, credit unions are a good option too. They have a separate uh, insurance, but they're a good option too. Absolutely. So I mean, right now, cash is king, folks. I mean, the markets are crazy. Uh, I'm sure people with the 401ks, 57s, 403bs, and your your personal investments that you're saving for for uh, yourself or perhaps like, you know, for your grandkids or kids, you know, you have these little mutual funds set up. I mean, it's been a rocky ride uh, the last three years now. Uh, people look like geniuses in 2021 and 2022, you look like, you know, you don't know what you're doing. And now 2023, <laughs> we still don't know what we're doing. Uh, but cash is king. I mean, you're seeing CD interest rates, you know, uh, online interest rates you can find uh, through a brokerage account. Um, uh, you know, somewhere in the areas like a one month at like four point seven percent. The six month and, and uh, nine month uh, CDs, you know, are at five. But the Fed's, the Treasuries, 
are over 5% as well. And you buy a UST bond, uh, there is no state tax. Oh, I didn't know that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, short-term uh, treasury bonds are being extremely popular. And we have this thing called, the, you've heard this before, and you use the inverse yield curve. In simple, simple, simple terms, the, US, uh, the inverse yield curve basically says that if the long-term interest rate is lower than the short-term interest rate, basically anything one year or less, is considered inverse yield curve because uh, people would not be inclined to put the money in a uh, five-year team bond uh, or tr- any other uh, bond, period, any bond. Uh, because the, it yields less money than you would if you put into a short-term bond, uh, meaning that anything less than you. That's kind of the real simplified, super mm. simple explanation for that. So it's considered in here because normally the yield curve is that you want to keep your money longer. So they offer a higher interest rate to keep your money longer. So bank CDs, treasury bonds, and so forth. So uh, it's an indicator that um, people, uh, one, the banks need money because- <laughs> they wouldn't offer you such a big interest. They need to increase the deposits. And uh, secondly, um, people are uh, trading bonds at a high rate and uh, they're uh, not strong faith in the stock market. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, well, that's, you know, again, a sign of the times right now, especially. And it looks like um, there's going to be more interest rate hikes later this year, I think, too. If the Fed's not quite where it wants to be in terms of um, uh, labor force, workforce development and unemployment. Yeah, there's a lot of guesswork about what's going on there with the Feds. The Feds are, the Fed Reserve, I'm not very envious of the position. People think it's like a simple decision to raise interest rates. It is not. They're looking at data. The data is always lagging by a minimum one month minimum lagging. And there is a correction done one month later. For example, you know some of the December numbers regarding sales uh, was not as good as it was before in December sales. And the December CPI was below what it was corrected two months later. It was actually a percent, a percent, a quarter, a tenth of a percentage point lower. I would say higher than it was originally put out in December. So there's this real problem uh, that the feds have to try to um, change interest rates using the lagging lagging data. Because, I mean, you know, for example, today's uh, March 2nd. I mean, we won't have February data to maybe mid-March. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Same thing, you know, like everything in life, you, you know, day the month ends, you can't magically find out, you know, all this information about consumer behavior, uh, the cost of manufacturing, all this right. stuff that magically appear right on the first day of the month. Some of the stuff, you know, will have as an estimate and they will be a correction of that likely in April. Maybe the numbers that came in were accurate, mm-hmm. maybe they're off, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things. So the Fed's really are kind of in a tough spot with trying to slow the economy by slowing our spending by increasing interest rates, meaning they're trying to discourage you from not just borrowing money in terms of like buying a house, but also like maybe not use a credit card as much. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you thought increased saving rates, you know, is a way of us trying to spend less because if I can get 5% return my money in one year guaranteed, no questions asked, as opposed to the market where you're yeah, you know, it's the market. I mean, the stock market's kind of all over the place. You know, uh, why would you put your money in a safe harbor, you know, with guaranteed interest return versus, um, you know, taking a chance in a rocky market where nobody knows mm-hmm. what's going on? So, I mean, that's another way to slow the economy is by increasing saving. And 70% of our economy is driven by consumer spending. There was a little bit of good news this week. Um, gas rates are going down. Yeah, gas rates are going down. It actually, it's kind of interesting. Between consumer um, demand 
you know, decline at some level. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, as I told you before, it takes time for these uh, refineries and other uh, processes to ratchet up. They just can't do it overnight. We're starting to get our um, supply chain um, at a higher level th than it was a year ago. And the war in Ukraine is still is impacting global uh, global oil prices and hopefully not uh, wheat. Uh, it doesn't impact us because we're not an importer of European wheat. You know, really, we really don't. But I mean, it affects obviously a lot of other countries, especially poor nations in Africa uh, that uh, that very depend on Ukrainian and Russian wheat. So hopefully they're able to move that out again um, by summertime because uh, uh, again, we can't relate to this, but I mean, some of these countries get zero wheat. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we got a food crisis right away. So, but, you know, we've adjusted, we've adjusted uh, to the current situation economically. The Europeans have used less natural gas overall because of climate change in a much warmer winter. Um, we can say it's climate change. You can say it's a natural cycle. We just got lucky. Um, and even up here in the Northeast, I mean, you know, with, you know, we had a bit of snow um, here this week, but I mean, most of it was in Western Mass. But statewide, the, the snow totals have not been dramatic. But we, uh, again, we, we, this is New England. We could be seeing like a major storm before March is over. So I'm just, just saying. Um, and obviously, snow packs are important for us too because um, our water tables are tied to snow packs or so wells and the reservoirs. So we could use some snow. Um, but that being said, uh, you know, it's been relatively mild and uh, people have been uh, taking advantage of mass safe, people have been conserving. Uh, gas at home, people have been working very hard to try to keep their um, energy bills down. So, um, you know, there's a lot of combinations on a global level, as you can hear me say, uh, and also um, on a domestic level. And certain countries like China, which had a really cold winter spat a month ago, didn't have sufficient natural gas. So they, they kind of had a rough time, and uh, but there was just not, there was not a supply globally. Um, mm. And the U.S. is uh, one of the biggest exporters of fossil fuels. People don't keep forgetting that. We're, we're a major producer of oil, natural gas, and uh, we've been shipping a lot of that to Europe. And I'm sure, you know, the industries will look for new markets uh, once the European market has reached a critical mass. They'll probably start looking for other markets as well. Yeah, is the, is the states going to continue funding that mass save program? Do you know, Techie? Mass save is paid by your electric and gas bill. It's automatic. Okay. So uh, that's why I encourage people to take advantage of it because uh, you, you because you're already paying for it. It's part of your mm -hmm. electric gas bills, and uh, it's a shared cost among all ratepayers. Uh, I do have some concerns about these type of programs because uh, since everybody has equal access to it, those with greater means can access more to programs, especially the loan programs. Hmm. If you have greater means, uh, you can take more advantage of the uh, low interest or zero interest loans than someone with less means can. And I've always had you uh, with this type of uh, program. Well, I do encourage everyone to take it. I have, it is not lost on me that not everyone can take advantage of every aspect of it. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, you can you can get your free uh, light bulbs and water saving devices, but you might not be able to get your house insulated if you can't afford the loan. No, that's correct. And now with heat pumps, which are not cheap, you know, can you drop, you know, what, 40 grand or whatever? Because it's not just a heat pump. You actually have to, like, change your heating ducts. You know, there's a foundational component. Um, you because have to, like, bolt them in. If you have an existing furnace system, it's already bolted in. So it's not like it's questionable. You got to pull permits and depending on the situation and so forth. So it is a project. It isn't like you just yank your furnace out and you just drop it. 
right? And by the removal of things like, for instance, question, for example, we uh, changed again natural gas like three years back, uh, but I set up the oil tank downstairs and, uh, you know, I sealed up the exposed parts of the, the uh, oil so I don't have to smell oil in the basement, but eventually I'm going to have to get that pumped out and removed safely uh, and uh, have it taken out. But again, that's an additional cost that um, needs to happen at some point, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, you know, we talked about a lot of times, everyone's feeling the pitch. I'm no exception. Yeah, right. Exactly. What's the status with the uh, the wind uh, projects uh, off the coast right now? Do you know? Well, the DPU still is looking at the uh, guys. Uh, the wind guys are trying to you know get a revised rate because of inflation, uh, especially on material parts. Mm. Uh, and uh, with the infrastructure program coming up, the, the ten trillion dollar infrastructure program in the United States, steel is going to be a very high comp- competition price. And obviously, we're not going to be importing steel from China. The tariff rates are too high. So, um, you know, Europeans obviously do not you know, get all the steel from the United States, but you know, they, they ship over the biggest parts and then assemble it in Massachusetts. So, um, it takes a bit of time to make giant windmill blades, bring them over assembly, have a plant developed for assembly in the Bedford uh, area. Um, yeah, I, I, and then you know, obviously, it's going to cost them more money, and if they take a negative. But they're in the negative. They're not going to be here. I mean, this ain't complicated. If they if they can't, if the material cost outweighs the profits, meaning it destroys the profits, then uh, it's a non viable project. So right. your uh, those uh, you know very very affordable windmill uh, bids uh, from pre COVID doesn't quite work today's inflationary prices. So I'm not sure how that's going to play out at the DPU, but. Uh, it, it's got to be a big consideration because it's not like we don't want renewable energy, but there is a cost. The uh, transmission line out of Maine is still, I think, we're getting there. <laughs> oh, the hydroelectric power? Yeah, I'm a big hydro guy uh, because I like 99.9% reliability. Um, and that line, I think, is getting inching a little bit closer every every time I ask somebody. It's just not quite over the line on approval. And uh, the state of Maine will not have a lot of say if it gets federal federal approval. It's just going to happen. And uh, your rates, again, on the transmission side and some distribution, depending on how to cut it up, you know, will be paying that cost. And actually, it's economic stimulus for a short period of time for states like New Hampshire and Maine because they need workers to get out there and, and put this stuff together. It's, it's basically a construction project. So, I mean, there's a short-term economic bill of benefits of the states. Yeah. Um, you're, you're paying for, by the way, if your distribution uh, slash uh, transmission, depending on how they divvy it up. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it behooves everybody um, for it to succeed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Closer to home here, um, you're well aware, Tacky, of the, the fire not too long ago down at Clean Harbors and uh, how that impacted really the Tri-Town area in the Four River Basin. Um, and what might, you know, what might come out of that? Well, I mean, a great job to the, you know, Quincy Fire Department and, and uh, you know, Weymouth and Braintree and uh, great job by, you know, all the communities here. It shows the readiness, you know, of our uh, public safety to, to get the job done. Uh, the state does provide uh, $50,000 of hazmat training. And we do, uh, we've been providing equipment thanks to the Quincy delegation to the Quincy Fire Department for many years now for training and updating their equipment for these type of situations. So, uh, you know, that's kind of lost. It never makes a newspaper that, you know, we do that. I mean, we do that, we try to put that in a press release. So, you know, every budget cycle to uh, the local papers uh, 
and uh, people kind of forget that. But you know, it's largely thanks to uh, you know the speaker uh, who's been championing that program for a very long time on direct funding from earmarks from us, and of course the delegation fully supports that. So you know, not to you know toot our horn, but somebody paid for that hazmat training, and that's us. Um, so like again, no one ever gives us credit, right? Uh, how quickly they forget. Um, that's why we're here, Shaggy. <laughs> that's why uh, I love city government. They like to take credit with stuff that we pay for. Um, so, uh, so uh, we'll see how the reevaluation is. I mean, we all know the Fort Basin is industrial complex. Those of you remember, you know, there, there was a, 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 a gas, coal, uh, oil fired power plant, depending what decade we're in. You got, you know, the old PNG, which I don't know who owns them now. Um, it is Twin a, Rivers now, yeah. Twin Rivers, they, I mean, they, they have a huge uh, deep water port that's part of the Charles de Forward Bridge because it, the, the you know, Coast Guard required uh, that to happen. Um, remember, guys, in, in, well, I don't remember, but I mean, in the old days, I mean, you know, it had battleships coming in out of the Forward Basin. Hence, is why a federal deep water port uh, and still deep water port ready. As long as a cruise, you know, you can get a cruise liner in there if it can get under the bridge, right? Right. And, uh, the bridge does open, as you all know, uh, that can annoy folks from Quincy and Weymouth and uh, Point South trying to get across uh, 3A. Um, I think, though, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but definitely could be a reevaluation, I think, on a couple of levels. One, I think it's a merge response well is wonderful. I think coordinated response continues to be something that we do do and will continue to do, and we should probably uh, discuss you know, how to do it more. I'm sure the municipal governments will be trying to figure it out on their own, as well as the fire departments. And um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see what the EPA standard is regarding, you know, how to do and the DEP standards regarding how to handle, um, how to handle this, uh, going forward and measure the air quality and things like that. So I think it's very early stages, you know, what we could be doing. Um, for some reason in my mind, this can't be the first time this happened. I mean, probably before I was alive, this probably didn't happen at some point. Mm, yeah, uh, I don't maybe. recall. And, uh, I've been around a long time. And- uh, but one of the main questions that came out was the notification process, I think, needs to be more uh, streamlined, um, you know, if you will, or, or more homogenized so everybody gets the same message at the same time. Yeah, that makes, I mean, obviously, that is a big part. I mean, given the toxicity the stuff, you want people out of there because of the poor air quality. And obviously, the stuff just blows right into the ocean, one of the advantages of being a coastal community. You know, things just blow out to sea. But, you know, until that happens, I mean, it doesn't impact on people's health. And um, I really don't know what the answer is, largely because of the fact that, you know, you got to get text messages out. You got reverse 911. Uh, but, I mean, a lot of people have cut off the landlines. So that are knocking on doors. Um, I'm sure they got to figure something out that works. I mean, it doesn't rise to broadcast company level because that's not a statewide emergency. Um, and even then, who has TVs? So right. true. Yeah, things have changed so much in the way we communicate. That's actually one of the problems I know that um, the Fed is having and trying to analyze data is they, they they can't call people as much as they used to to survey them because nobody has a phone anymore, a house phone. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why um, pollsters' data has been, I won't say uh, troublesome, but they have to recalculate the formulas of who they can actually reach because they have to reach a certain demographic to, to have accurate polling. And polling has gotten very complex because yeah. of the need to get the right sample size reflecting a demographic. This online poll is crap. I mean, because, you know, you could, you know, make 17 different accounts online and then just kind of like 
do that. I mean, I just find that kind of stupid. Right. Um, you could be one person answering, you know, 30 different surveys. <laughs> yeah. People, people find that, you know, Oh, it's a pulse of public. It's, it's a pulse of nothing. Uh, it's a, it is a science to do polling. It is a constant changing of the math because again, how you communicate people are changing. You know, I, you know, everyone uses, you know, talks about 538, uh, which is a very popular site that compiles people polling. They teach you how polling works. I actually heard a uh, uh, audio uh, on NPR about the challenges of polling and uh, them some try to do polling and it's even on an academic level regarding things like healthcare, not politics. Um, the polling is challenging. Mm. Um, but on simple things like you know, do you have a job? You know, where, you know, you don't even have to name which education or attainment, for example, and not talk about where you went to school, what you do for a living, right? I mean, right. You know, these are important uh, data points which public policymakers need to know so we can shift our public policy around. I mean, otherwise, we're relying on the U.S. Census, you know, which I believe the majority of people are very honest on the U.S. Census. Um, but that data, again, is a lagging indicator. I'm sorry, not lagging indicator. It's an old data set uh, because it's already 2003 and the data set was 2020. A lot of stuff's happened in the last three years. That's for sure. Yeah, major shifts in demographics and population. Yeah. And our lives. Yeah, uh, has changed a lot. You, you know, I mean, we don't really notice it. So you sit down quietly and think about how our lives have changed, but a lot of things have changed. And the uh, the 2020 census is probably not the best data anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we won't have a new one for well until 2030, a federal census at least. Yeah, yeah, and be be mindful, folks. You will get a federal economic census. They do a census follow up uh, every so often uh, to uh, uh, to households. Of course, they're doing a, uh, the science census and making sure they have the correct. Uh, diversity demographics. Uh, the census uh, has also been doing text messages, but again, if you're wary of a piece of mail or a text message, you can reach out to my office and we can try to verify that. And also, you can reach out to Congressman or U.S. Senator's office because it's a federal issue and they can help verify that as well. Um, I am aware that during COVID, the second half of COVID or wave, whatever, you know, your census was um, sending out um, uh, short census forms by uh, text messages. Uh, to uh, try to get economic data to see, you know, what the employment what the employment rate rate was in certain areas, and I know that uh, people were hesitant to respond to those texts, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we talk about scams and whatnot. So, again, it doesn't hurt to check one of the federal um, delegation offices. Obviously, you can reach out to us, and we'll reach out to the federal delegation office and try to connect you to them. Um, obviously, check the uh, census website, and um, in particular, uh, you know, anything you know .gov. Hopefully. You know, you can confirm or, you know, whether or not the um, forms that come to your house or the forms that show up on your phone uh, are correct. Well, what a natural transition then to ask you uh, how to get all the attacky. <laughs> well, 617-722-2370, uh, 617-722-2370. Uh, we are in the office. Uh, feel free to hit a button. I'm still in room 42. Uh, if I'm not there, the staff will be there. Although briefings have returned to the state house, so the staff is uh, running around the state house right now attending briefings um, because obviously uh, we're off this format in many ways in the state house, uh, or we're doing hybrid versions. So, um, you know, we, we do, st- we're back running around the building. It's it's nice. Um, you can email me at tacky.chan at uh, mahouse.gov, tacky.chan at mahouse.gov. Uh, I think I'm up to somewhere like four or 500 co-sponsor requests, emails, 
in the last uh, in the last 10 days um which i have to review all of them at some point uh so it's going to take a bit of time as i'm trying to figure what people are trying to tell me um but you know we are doing a lot of that and i did i have been receiving a number of constituent issues and some of them I'm not surprising you talked about earlier is federal government related. We'll do our best to connect you someone in the federal delegation so you can talk to someone and try to expedite that you uh, to help you out. Um, you know, obviously you got the state representative tax chat Facebook. Uh, my public hearings will no longer be there. It's going to be at MALegislature.gov, uh, which is the legislator's website. And uh, you also have attackchen.org, which is more of a resource page for you to uh, maybe find some phone numbers quickly. Excellent. Oh, we got Twitter at TackyChan, which oh. We got that too. So <laughs> it's hard not to find you. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, we do prioritize. I've said this over and over again. We do prioritize. I mean, you know, uh, based on, you know, the urgency of the situation. Um, and, uh, you know, also we have transition in government. The, the um, appointment of other secretaries has been talking about that a bit here, but also means they're getting ready to change commissioners and then the secretaries and deputy commissioners. And then, um, you know, obviously a lot of unionized folks would be there, but if you're not unionized, there's a chance that you may not be reappointed. So well, it's three months in, uh, the governor's moved through the top end of the food chain, and uh, now the secretariats in the governor's office will have to start moving down to the lower end of the food chain. And uh, I've been around a lot of transitions, and um, there's no such thing as a smooth one. Mm, yeah. We'll get there. We'll talk about it all along the way right here on Techie Talk. <laughs> Absolutely. You can get the real scoop on what real life work is like in my job and uh, the challenge associated uh, with this. I don't think we've, uh, because the last transition was eight years ago. Obviously, we weren't doing this eight years ago uh, uh, in this format. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you guys got to hear as, you know, how things work and the things I deal with. We'll do it again next week if that's okay. Yeah, we'll schedule time for next week. Um, actually, uh, next Thursday is a House leadership meeting at Worcester State College. The speaker is having chairs and vice chairs uh, come out to Worcester State for a day uh, discussing uh, legislative priorities, discussing uh, how to run some of these committees, uh, discussing um, uh, you know, how to engage our Senate counterparts, um, as well as dealing with the rules, the joint rules and conference committee between the House and the Senate right now, which operates the joint committees. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of the chairs can share experience and ideas of other newly, newly minted chairs. So next Thursday, I'll be out there um, doing that. I'm not sure what the speaker wants me to do, but as you guys can tell by Tacky Talk, uh, you really just don't want to let me loose um, uh, talking to people. Um, I do know stuff, but sometimes it's not not good idea just letting me loose in the public. Much less... <laughs> All right. Well, we'll check it at some point again uh, uh, soon. How's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we'll schedule this. Not a concern. We'll, we'll, we'll make this work. Okay. Thanks, Zachy. You're welcome, Joe. Talk to you soon.